Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is my very dear friend, all-around amazing human. I adore her. And I would also credit her with changing my life completely, which I can't say about many people that I've come across. Emma Cannon is a fertility and women's health expert, a registered acupuncturist and founder of the Emma Cannon Clinic. For over 25 years, she has supported individuals and couples on the path to becoming parents. She bridges the gap between Western medicine and the world of complementary therapies and combines the best of modern research, treatments and diagnostics with holistic therapies and spiritual practices to yield effective results for each individual. I have personally worked with her for God knows how many years now. Um, We met in a gym and our friendship has flourished from there. And I am just so excited to have you on the podcast today. Emma, how are you? Oh, Alice, honestly, thank you. That was a very generous intro. And um, I'm so happy to be here um, because I adore you in equal measures. So thank you so much for that. And I forgot we met in a gym. I know. Very unusual for me. (laughs) I know. It's funny thinking back to that as well. God, that feels like a lifetime ago. But actually, I thought it was great. as a way to kind of intro our introduction is how we first met and how we started to work together. Because I, like I said in my introduction, credit you with with changing my life in that you were the first person to sit me down and say, you're too skinny, not in these words, but yeah, you're doing too much exercise and you're not eating enough. And those things are impacting your menstrual cycle. And nobody in the medical profession had said that to me up until that point. Wow. And I really credit you with helping me to turn my life around. And I wondered if we could start there in terms of where you began your career and how you ended up basically helping me yeah. in your clinic on Radnor Walk, telling me that I needed to <laughs> chill out and and um, and get my period back. Thank you, because I often forget the things I say. In fact, I mostly forget the things I say. I try not to cry. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so emotional because I'm so... Oh, I just feel so privileged to do this work and, you know, to get to hear the stories of women's lives and, you know, to give them sliding, to make those sliding door moments. And I'll I'll start with that because my career really started with a sliding door moment. And it's quite a funny story because I'd been sort of picked up on the King's Road and asked to be a Madonna lookalike in the 90s. (laughs) That is amazing. I mean, I'll show you the photos. Um, Can't sing, you know, definitely can't dance like that well. And it was a period when she was changing her look every two minutes. It would have cost me a fortune anyway. Anyway, I did have some stills done and I went along to the 
to the lookalike agency and they were like, if you could just knock down the, um, go down the tr Trocadero Centre and knock off a video of yourself singing Like a Virgin. And oh, I went, God. Oh, no, what, no choreographers, no makeup artists, just, just like that. And they said, yeah, 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 you'll be fine. And I went, I don't really know whether I'm ready for the performing bit yet. They got, have you got anything else? Yeah, well, we've got this gig in uh, Shopping Arcade in Croydon. Babe, I've still never been in a shopping arcade in my life. <laughs> <laughs> in a Spot the Lookalike competition, we want you to dress as Madonna and wander around and, you know, see if anyone, you know, and there's a competition. There'll be lots of other lookalikes there as well. And I kind of went, I don't know where this is going to work. Why don't you just keep my details and give me a call if they ever make a movie? <laughs> and Great with thing. that, my career was over. And um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I suddenly got this invitation to go to San Francisco. And I had been made, I'm just trying to remember the exact timing. I think I'd just been made redundant from my oil business job. So I had a little bit of money and I was really just knew I couldn't go back into business in that world. And I knew I had to find a new direction. It wasn't the lookalike industry. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a plane to San Francisco and I arrived in San Francisco on the day that the Gulf War broke out. And it was very light now, actually, and there was a lot of a, a political uprising and a lot of rebellion. Um, but but there was also a lot of hardship there and a lot of pain around the war because they were still, you know, San Francisco is full of Vietnam. But, so it was really an interesting time to get there. And when I was there, I was exposed to all sorts of things that weren't even happening anywhere near in Britain in the early 90s. So there was a lot of stuff around spirituality, yoga, shock horror, diet, shock horror. I mean, back then, we didn't even think the diet made any difference right? There was no word for wellness. So I learned so much. I, I sat with Ram Dass, this great spiritual teacher. I had no idea who he was. I just thought he was a bearded old man that took LSD. And I was just exposed to all these incredible, very, very authentic people who, who were really the forefathers of the whole wellness industry, because without them and without them having done it in the 60s, yeah. we never would have had a chance. So I came back to the UK and just thought this is how I want to spend my life. Oh, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> it changed everything. And I forgot about Ramdas and all of these people for ages because, like I say, I was like 20-something and he was a bearded man that was taking LSD and talking about life in a really philosophical way. And that kind of was my sliding door moment. And then mm -hmm. I started studying and, yeah, so that, that, was, that was how I got into it. So I call it from Madonna to Ramdas. <laughs> well, I love that. And I think it's an amazing story. And you're right that wellness is, we, have, we forget that wellness is such a modern thing. You know, I think even like 10 years ago, the word wellness didn't really have the same kind of connotations that it does now. But I'd love to hear, you know, on your website, you say that, and actually in the introduction, as I said, you have a lot of grounding in science, but then kind of transition between Chinese and Western medicine. And yeah. I'd love to hear your sort of pathway into finding your own, because really you carved your own path. You haven't really followed anyone's footsteps in terms of what you do. You've very much done your own thing. And I can't really begin to even explain the First of all, the amount of babies that you've helped create. <laughs> I ne never forget coming into your clinic in Radnor Walk and just seeing this wall of photos of babies. I mean, there must have been hundreds on there. And I just remember you just being like, oh, yeah, those are all the people that I've helped had children as if it was like, you know, 
and like clicking your fingers and obviously I realize it's not that simple but but really what you've done and what I'm trying to say is you haven't followed anyone's footsteps with what you do you have carved your own path and you've bridged that gap between what you see as the kind of Chinese medicine and and, and then western medicine and I'd love to hear how you found that route and how how you really had the courage to kind of take a, a less conventional um pathway first of all I had an incredible father um, my father used to tuck me up in bed at night and say, every day in every way, it's getting better and better. And that you have a special gift and it is your duty to find it and bring it to the world. And I find that word duty really interesting because he was a general in the army and he had five daughters. So I grew up in a household of women. So in many, many ways, I was destined to do this work. And in my family, you know, women were adored and my father absolutely adored us and at no stage ever did I feel that he wanted a son. He said, I have all the sons I need in the army. It was very divine feminine in our house and it was all about periods and all of that kind of thing. But I also have that very grounded discipline and rigor and that comes from the army side of it because although he adored us, he was also a man a general Um, but a very divine masculine you know like no toxic masculinity there at all beautiful beautiful man died when I was 16 so such a loss but he never he never left me Um, and he really he really really instilled this sense of duty and discipline in me so I really think that set me up for not just you you know there's something a, a little bit undisciplined sometimes about wellness and spirituality which is a shadow everyone has their shadow medical profession has their shadow it's this big farmer and all of that kind of thing you know it's very rigorous and disciplined and grounded and does provide safety now though definitely it definitely isn't perfect it's far from perfect but I think I really looked for that rigor and I wanted that in my work and so I wanted to align myself with the medical profession because I found uh, my profession um, sometimes, I think, because they were the underdog, I found it a little bit defensive and a little bit anti-science. And it didn't feel comfortable to me. It has changed a lot. And I think people like me have helped that change because we're like, no, you need both. (laughs) Like, don't reject science. Beautiful thing about science is it's a book that is always being written and okay. it's only as good as the questions that it asks. So it's always changing and evolving. So, you know, in some of these old traditions like acupuncture and things like that, they're quite, you know, they're quite held in the past. They don't have, they can adapt and we can use acupuncture for new conditions and for today's yeah. problems, definitely. But but it's not something that's that's necessarily asking different questions of itself all the time like Western medicine is. I'm a, I was attracted to that probably because of my upbringing. Yeah. And I was really fortunate that I was offered a position working in this um, new place that was opening. I think it was 2004. It was opening opened by a doctor, Dr. Tim Evans, who had just been appointed the physician to, physician to the Queen. So he was very integrated in his approach, and that's why he was chosen for that position. And it was a multidiscipline practice where... Uh, we had visiting consultants and to, we, we, so I just got into the practice of that Western model of writing letters. I'm seeing your client or patient. This is what I'm doing. 
you know, they didn't listen to me for years, but actually getting into that discipline was really good because it put me in the mindset of, of Western medics and rigor and really communicating what you're doing, what your role is. And I just hope that at some point someone would listen, <laughs> just go, okay, that's quite interesting. That patient got better or, and I promise you, Alice, it was just not giving up. Man. I wrote letters to them. Every patient I saw, I wrote a letter, you know, and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to do it in a way that you recognize. That's it. The way that you operate. Yeah. I'm not going to try and be clever and speak another language because that will just separate us. I'm going to build bridges. And that's what I did. Just yeah. repeat, 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 repeat. <laughs> <laughs> And it took years. And really with that, so you were practicing sort of your version of, and I guess it would be great to understand for those who don't know what you do, yeah. a little bit about your approach to treating people and, and what you typically treat, but yeah. then also how you came to be in, yeah, I mean, in a, in a clinic that is run by the physician to the queen. I mean, that's amazing in itself. And I, I don't think many people that practice things like acupuncture and um, the kind of more holistic therapies can say that they've worked in a clinic as appointed by the physician to queen. I mean, I think that in itself gives weight to your uh, credibility in what you do. Yeah. And I think, again, that I think that what I have, that what people trust is that I, and I think this is the army, is it's appropriateness. Know who's in front of you, you know? Um, know um, who you have to speak. I, I speak a language that that person feels safe with. You know, um, I'll pitch it to them. I'm not inauthentic to who I am, and um, I will push that person. But I'm not going to start talking about the divine feminine and, you know, all of that <laughs> kind of thing, you know, in, in someone who's with someone who's very medical. That's just, that's just daft, and there's a lot of that that goes on. And it's very divisive. So yeah. I think I provide safety. My main training was an acupuncturist. I was take out given that position because for acupuncture. And what I learned really quickly is if you're working with a bunch of doctors, give them one message. If you say, I can do everything, they're just not going to remember you. Yeah. You know, they're sitting yeah. in front of a person. They've got their red flags. They've got all yeah. the things that they've got to do. They're not going to think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, refer to that girl, Emma. I just said, give me your, your people that can't get pregnant and give me your pregnant women. That was it. Yeah. And they are happy because like pregnant people who want to get pregnant, it, you know, it's one's worth. It was full of the worried well. Yeah. <laughs> people do get anxious around having a baby. Um, so the, I learned that pretty quickly. I also learned pretty quickly because I went to a conference. So um, it was at the Royal College of Ops and Gynes and it was called the Management of Infertile Couples. Honestly, Alice, I thought that I was going to go along and that they were all going to agree with each other and that no one would agree with me. And it was a week-long conference. And I was just amazed because none of them agree with each other on anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my eyes were on stalks and I was just like well there's room for me then you know yeah yeah um so I gave very simple messages you know what what are you telling people to do but you're not actually helping them with it you yeah. know so give up smoking lose weight well what are you doing to help that person do that you know <laughs> I'm sure they know they need to do that but 
You're not doing anything to help them. Uh, You know, you've just mentioned two things. And I think that a lot of people coming to this podcast will know you as a fertility expert and someone who has, like I said, helped many, many people to fall pregnant. You've written books about it. You have been on so many different TV things and, you, you know, you really are an expert in your field. So I think a lot of people will be coming here looking for answers and looking for guidance and looking for that person to say, I believe you and I'm here to help you, which is what I know you do. And I wondered if you could start by, and this is such a huge question, so I don't feel like it's going to have a succinct or um, quick Not from me. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) When I go and see Emma, this is a side note, I often just go and be like, okay, I'll be about an hour. And then really I should always allocate two hours because we could talk so much. But okay, (laughs) back to the point. What I was going to say was it won't have a succinct answer and it won't have a quick answer, but there are a lot of people who now struggle to fall pregnant and to conceive. And it seems as though, and I could be wrong, but it does feel as though it's becoming more common. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's because of my age and I have friends who are trying to conceive, but I do feel that it's becoming more common. And I wondered if you could maybe talk through why, from your perspective, that might be and what the kind of fertility landscape looks like at the moment. Yeah, and it looks so very, very different from when I started. Um, And, you know, I... I really, one of the things I love about this job is it really keeps me young because it keeps me connected to the next generation that's going through it. And obviously when I started out, I was having my own kids and I was at that generation. Um, And it's fascinating, the generational changes and shit. I take a medical history. I take, um, you know, I look at results. I look at the results they've already had. I look at the, the doctor's stuff. So I look at all of that belts and braces I don't do a lot of testing but I work with a nutritionist who can look at all of that stuff my real love is the emotional stuff as you know creating the emotional safety and that's the thing I've really really seen change like honestly in my my day it was easy it was like maybe don't drink that bottle of Chardonnay after work and eat that packet of Haribo's. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you should be, you know, cutting down your work hours in the city as you rush to see me, like, charged full of adrenaline. <laughs> Amy, don't get me wrong, the adrenaline hasn't gone away. But but I feel like um, a, lot, uh, a lot of this, what this generational generation struggle with is perfectionism. And, and in a way, the wellness industry is, has fed into that because it's like, if I do everything right and I still don't get what I want, what do I make that mean? And what I make that mean is there must be something wrong with me. We didn't pee on sticks, Alice. You know, we probably had a, few too many glasses of wine and a bit of a fumble around and <laughs> didn't really worry about it and you know oops I'm pregnant kind of thing and and that's definitely what my preg- my pregnancy wasn't planned I think we're planners now and I'm not saying that I'm not like I'm I'm now part of this too I'm not separate from this you know I'm part of this too so I'm not saying this is you and I'm doesn't affect me I've I've changed and evolved it affects me now too you know Um, I think or I'll show you one of my little cards I think there's a lot of society now creates this craving yeah yeah craving for more yeah and this like we fill ourselves with information 
This is really, really real. This is a really big card. This is this is my pack of cards I created. This is Which a rejection. Which you sent me. I love them. <laughs> She's quite scary, isn't she? Like oh, wow. Like vomiting. Yeah. yeah. Right? There's so much information, right? Yeah. And I think that this, um, and it, it's a deep kind of wound, mostly in women, actually, although I do see men being more affected by this now, perfectionism, right? It's like this getting everything right, peeing on sticks, and actually, oh, dopamine. I think I'm going to be the dopamine doctor. <laughs> I think that's what I do. I bloody love dopamine. And I promise you, we talk about estrogen and progesterone and la la testosterone. Dopamine, like dopamine is what makes us feel confident and powerful. It's like the feminist hormone yeah, yeah. or neurotransmitter. And... We need dopamine to feel sexy, to feel turned on, to feel powerful, to feel confident. And I, you know, fertility is not very woke, it's not very politically correct because I'm afraid there are certain things that women require, regardless of whether your partner's a man or a woman, whatever. They require that kind of. And I don't want to say worshipping or adoration, but you know what I mean. It's like right. there's got a bit. We look for something, if you want to talk medical terms, investment behaviour. Yeah. Does he leave his pants on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> Does he leave the fridge door? You know, all those kind of irritating things that are kind of anti-dopamine, right? And what happens when people try and conceive is they put the date in their diary or they've got an app and it pings to them and they, they reduce their sex life down to three times a week. And that does nothing for your dopamine, right? Yeah. You know, they've got the perfect plate of food. They're looking at this food and they feel really joyless about it. They've taken out everything in their life that gave them any kind of joy at all. You know, the ice cream, the pizza, right. the hot yeah. beer. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that being healthy and eating healthy food isn't good. Of course it is. We know that. But the effects of perfectionism I mean, I would literally rather you have a pizza and a beer and a good romp. <laughs> and so one of the key things for women is that we need to think about sex prior to having it. Top tip, everyone heard it here first. So instead of going, oh, God, it's that day, like get in the mood, you know, all right, I'll go to the gym first. Well, I'll do all these things, yeah. tick, tick, eat the perfect dinner. Yeah. no. You've got to think about what you want to do and what you want done to you. And you've got to engage in it in that kind of like, not to make a baby, but for the joy of it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I promise you that is, that goes out the window. There is something fundamental that happens that moves us away from, you know, I desire you and I'm really hot and sexy to yeah. we need to make a baby, you know? Yeah. It kills our dopamine. Yeah. And that just starts this whole hormonal wheel of infertility or lack of fertility or lack of fertile, right? Of course, notwithstanding block tubes, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, you know, of course, these things are real. And of course, I deal with those things too. But as a big generational shift and one of the things that we're dealing at the, with at the moment and one of the things that I constantly am going back to is the what we make things mean and we panic yeah. really early yeah. and we think there's something wrong with us because we're yeah. doing everything right yeah. um so i don't you know i don't want to 
of course, I'm I'm not saying those other things don't exist. Part of my job is, you know, oh, you have pain. Oh, let's go and check, get you checked out for endometriosis. Let's give you some acupuncture yeah. and see this yeah. surgeon. That is also very, very much part of what I do. Yeah. Um, but the other part of what I do is create the safety yeah. and say, you know what? You're good enough. And where yeah. does that belief come from that there's something yeah. wrong with you? Why don't we look at the origins of that? Yeah. Because if you, re- if you rechase the origins of all these negative beliefs that we make about ourselves, you can actually rewire the brain and you can yeah. actually create neuroplasticity. I'm just about to do a week with Joe Dispenza. Uh, amazing. I know. <laughs> so as, as, as well as all the other stuff, the medical, all of that, I'm not saying that it's one or the other. It isn't. Yeah, it's yeah. all of it. It's both. And I think that also, and I'm um, I'm going to sort of speak tentatively here, but I'm thinking that a lot of it is down to environmental reasons too, that we know oh, yeah, have sorry. caused a massive shift. And I wondered if, if you could talk about those. I know it's, I know it's something that we've spoken about a lot. A hundred percent fact. A hundred percent fact. I mean, God, can you imagine how much plastic we have in our body anyway? I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. It's just so depressing. But um, I was talking to this incredible um, urologist the other day, such a great man. And he was talking about male, obviously he deals with male fertility and he was talking about male fertility being on the decline. And, and I would a hundred percent say that women's fertility is on the decline. And it always gets put down to age you know oh it's age but I don't believe that's true because if you think about the environment in which the eggs develop they go through this process called oocytogenesis the same as sperm does we're always told you have the eggs you have you're born with them and blah 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 that is true but they're suspended to come to maturation they go through this process called oocytogenesis so they're suspended in the ovaries and they come under the influence of the ovarian environment and that is a very complex environment and so it is affected by things in our environments endocrine disruptors Um, interestingly in in the study that I was looking at coffee and alcohol coffee and alcohol together in older women not so much in younger women women have much more repair system right but you know obviously if you keep on (laughs) burning the candle at both ends for years and years and years and smoke and do all that stuff it is going to have a you know effects on nutrients. It affects our microbiome. It affects mm-hmm. the environment in which the eggs are developing, and it also affects the, our endocrine system. So mm-hmm. we develop conditions like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries, and also disrupts our thyroid. I see a lot of thyroid problems, Hashimoto's, mm-hmm. um, underactive thyroid, um, mm-hmm. Hashimoto's. You actually you develop the antibodies against your thyroid. Yeah. It is multifactorial, yeah? yeah? So we're under more, of course, as the world becomes less fertile, so do we, you know? Yeah. You know, our, our blood is not the same. But but I don't want to scare everyone because, you know, we are still fertile. And the problem is, is when we read all of that stuff, we go into a place of fear, right? I've left it too, you know, too late. It's going to, you know, um, and then we catastrophize and then we have health anxiety and that creates lack of safety. So again, we, we have to accept, and I think even outside of fertility, we have to accept this, our political 
situation isn't safe. Our financial situation is no longer safe. Our environmental situation is no longer safe. None of the our medical system is not safe. You know, none of the structures that we have been led to believe were there to keep us safe. Yeah. They don't feel trustworthy anymore. Now, yeah. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything. All I'm concerned about is safety and creating safety. Yeah. And so what I do, that is what I do. I, I help people create inner safety. Now, whether that's getting them the right referral to the right doctor, to the right clinic, or whether that's dealing on past traumas or belief systems, whether that's yeah. getting their diet right, whether yeah. that's telling them the truth like they need to stop exercising and put on a bit of weight. <laughs> yeah. I kind of go to the heart of what, what the problem is. And yeah. if I've got someone really anxious in front of me, I'm not going to tell them about the environment and the impact that it's having on our fertility. But that is a truth that is there underlying yeah. this, you know. Yeah. We are up against it. And maybe it's a way of of controlling how many children that we have. And, you know, maybe it's nature. But yeah. the problem is, is our economic system is not set up for us to have less children than we're having. And if it wasn't for immigration, we would be falling underneath our, our quota. So it's complex. Very complex. And obviously, like, yeah, I knew that wasn't going to be a, a short answer. <laughs> but I think that... What's really interesting that I hear you saying, and actually like one of the things that I really, so I've been treated by you for, for a few years and, and I, we particularly work with acupuncture when I see you. Yeah. One of the things that I really get from you is you really work with energy and intuition. And that's something that as a complete cynic who is 100% invested in Western medicine and, and believes in, you know, everything that that has to offer, I remember feeling conflicted by in, and I'll tell the story which I think I've told before but coming to see you and I remember it so distinctly there's a beauty blogger called Caroline Hyrons and she was having this big event that evening and I'd come to see you because I'd said look my period is not coming back I need some help now you touch my leg yeah you looked at my tongue then you lay me down and said just just lay there I'm just gonna do this and you chatted away as you put these needles in and off I went thinking, okay, cool. Wasn't too bad. Off I go. That evening, that exact day, I was at this event and I'd worn this leopard print dress. I'll never forget it. And suddenly my stomach just started to expand. It was like I went from being <laughs> zero months pregnant to nine months pregnant within the space of like an hour. Sorry. And the point that I had to leave the event because I just thought, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. And I was mortified because I really love Caroline. I went home and I got my period that night and it was like I and I have to this day I couldn't tell you why it might just be that for whatever reason I felt suddenly in tune with my body or at peace or that I just let go I can't tell you why it happened but up until that point I had not had a period for two years and then it was just back and Look, it took time to regulate. I had one and then I didn't have one for a long time. And obviously we continue <laughs> to work together. And now I have a completely regular cycle, monthly, and have so many fewer issues than I ever had before. And for you, I totally credit that because I've gone, done nothing else differently. But I just think that like it's it's fascinating to me how you've developed this this intuition and this energy that you're able to have with people that kind of 
sits so groundedly in both medicine and in just going with what you feel that person needs. And I think it's a really fascinating thing that so many people these days are searching for safety. I think that's the only yeah. way I can describe it. Myself included, I am constantly in a state of fight or flight pretty much. I'm yeah. stressed and I'm anxious and I'm at the gym and I'm this and I'm that. And I see that in women across you know, the kind of spectrum. I see that as how we live our lives now. And maybe there was something in you providing safety and that feeling of, you know, like groundedness that I just don't feel we're getting anywhere else. Yeah. And um, thank you. And that's one of the, I'll let you into a little secret, apart from that, I, that I adore you. One of the reasons that I love working with you so much is because I know that you are a real science buff. And that yeah. you love all of that. So nothing gives me more pleasure of just demonstrating something else to you. Yeah, just, exactly. Just to open you to something else. And it's not, mm. and it, do you know what? We live in this world where we have to split everything, right? You're either anti-vaxxer or you're at this or you're that, you know, you're a good person or you're a bad person or you're, you know what I mean? My experience of life is it isn't. It's much more nuanced than that, you know, mm. way more nuanced. And I mean, I I've probably had more <laughs> medical treatment than nearly anyone I know. So I know. I'm kept we'll come alive on to that. by yeah. So I'm kept alive by medical, you know, and sure will and determination. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but um, it it I am fascinated by you know their trajectory you know what the space they hold as well because yeah. it, it because there is a limitation there because yeah. you know i i i believe that <laughs> i be, i believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience you know yeah. um and i think that the medicine needs to evolve it, to appreciate that more you know they need to ask bigger questions and i've I have had, I have so much respect for the NHS um, mm. and the treatment that I've had, but I see its brokenness too. You know? mm. um, and also I see that the way that they don't nourish the people that are trying to look after sick people, so that's as often sick and traumatised people having to take care of sick and traumatised people. Yeah. And there's one more thing. There is this underlying message that it doesn't matter how you live your life. You can live however you want because we'll be there to pick up the pieces mm. when it all goes wrong. Mm. And that's not correct. That is patriotism gone, patriarchy, sorry, patriarchy mm. gone mad, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and the amount of times I've heard medic, medics say to people trying to conceive, no, there's nothing that you can do. It's all, all about the science when you're going through IVF. There's nothing that you can do to improve the outcome. But they are changing. I mean, when I was interviewing this, this urologist the other day, he was saying to me, he was, bless him, he said, oh, you're million steps ahead of the game on the microbiome you've been talking about it for years kind of thing we're only just getting there now you know he was lovely and he said and you know diet is huge makes a big difference i see it make a big difference but well and we are going to talk about it, but i'm you know i'm on a cancer journey no one has ever 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 mentioned food to me no one has ever told me to avoid alcohol mm. <laughs> i mean it's mad yeah let's go there let's talk about it because let's go there 
We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. So when I first met you, you had just recovered from breast cancer. Uh, I say recovered, you were absolutely smashing it in the gym and you were amazing. And I just remember you had this energy like nothing else. I adored you from the moment I met you. But um, you have been on a cancer journey that you continue to be on now. I don't say fight and I don't say battle because I know how much you hate those words. And I agree wholeheartedly with you there that it's not a fight or a battle. And that's sometimes a really problematic way to describe what is a journey and one that's incredibly complex and difficult. Um, and I'd love to hear you maybe just speak honestly. And, and I, you know, I've shared a couple of your posts where you've written honestly about your experience with cancer. One of them being, you know, please don't call it a fight, which I remember sharing and so many people really resonated with and Don't that. call me a warrior. It's yeah. a filthy, low-paid job. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I wondered if you could share your journey and a little bit about what, you, what you've gone through and what it's, what it's taught you, because I know that more than anything, it really has taught you stuff that you feel is, you know, that you shared with me, that you shared online. Mm. Um, and I'd love to hear that. The first thing to say about cancer is, and this is, well, Ramdas, one of my very early teachers, he said, I don't wish you the stroke. He had a stroke, but I wish you the beauty of the stroke. And I really know what he means by that, because when you are compromised in a way that is shocking and scary and terrifying and affects everyone you know it doesn't just affect me as a ripple effect. it affects everyone I mean you know I was with my two girls the other day and I was just like I'm so I just sometimes I feel so sad about you know how this has affected you and my daughter said to me yeah but I see you and you're so amazing and you know you just cope with it and and you don't just cope with it you just shine through it kind of thing and it don't, you, you live your life better than anyone I know so the yeah. first thing to say about when you have an illness like that it teaches you to live your life it teaches yeah. you to live right and yeah. I no one could accuse me of not living <laughs> absolutely not um, so I but I don't do the toxic positivity thing either right I really let myself be a brat sometimes as well yeah. you know I let myself have the anger and the not fair and it's usually after I've had a really nice holiday and I want to come back and I just want to be normal like everyone else yeah and then I think oh I can't get into the hospital and uh, to be I was hospital phobic when I started I used to pass out vomit I mean I was a nightmare poor poor people <laughs> Um, and I soon found that I was going to need to find a way to combat the fear. So I have always done what the medics have told me. I don't Google. I don't go. I don't go crazy. You know, I don't go crazy like that. Information tends to just fall into my lap when I need it. Um, I think that's because I connect to my intuition and and I look and I'm a noticer and I'm really curious person so I'm not particularly a planner or a googler because I think I would be going against my own medicine when I tell people not to google because otherwise you think everything was wrong I'd be taking mm -hmm. papers to my doctor every week going what about this <laughs> you know, there is so much out there yeah. and it causes so much stress so one of the stuff that I one of the things I learned really early on is be really grateful when people offer you unsolicited advice 
<laughs> got really good at calling people when they are not compassionate and people don't mean it but I've seen this a lot with my fertility patients and they go into victimhood where they go I can't believe this person did this and they did that and they said this and they said that and you know blah 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 and they go into this deep victim pattern right yeah. I do not want to be a victim I am not interested in it. It's a low, low, low vibration. It just keeps yeah. you stuck. Yeah. It is not helpful. You have got to move through victim mentality. It's so important. I had done so much work around that because I can be a victim like everyone else, you know. Yeah. A million things I could be a victim about, but it does not help. So <laughs> I've done oodles of work on that. And I'm really good at, you know, have some people go, I call it catastrophizing the unimportant and minimizing the catastrophic. So they stub their toe or they, you know, have a bad period and they say it was absolutely horrific, mm. <laughs> right? I mean, I think horrific should be safe for tsunamis, mm. the situation in Iraq, you know, we create all of this drama. I had a horrific journey home from work. My husband always says that. I said, I'm pretty sure it wasn't horrific, right? It was slightly <laughs> frustrating. You know, no one died. You know, he hates me. But, you know, we've got to be really responsible with the drama we attach to ourselves. So I yeah. really try not to do that. And I really try not to do that with my patients as well. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And the same people... Um, when you say, oh, they've taken my driving license away because, you know, I've gave them the wrong information in the middle of COVID. Now they think I had a brain hemorrhage and I didn't. Oh, that's just one of life's little hurdles. Obviously meant to be toxic positivity. And yeah. I'm really, really good because I've given myself so much compassion. I'm really good at it so, because that, that would eat you up for weeks. Yeah. I'm really good at saying, you're going to have to talk me through that because I think I've lost enough. Mm. And I think it was really unfair that I lost my driving license. And most of the time, the people that can't give you compassion is because they have given themselves compassion. Mm. And by showing them self-compassion, you encourage them to be more compassionate with themselves. These days, when I started on, I thought it was my job to change the way people think. But now I, that's not my job, you know. My job is to demonstrate my message. Yeah. And so uh, that that's part of it. Yeah. The other part of it is uh, if I know that um, I'm taking a drug that infects my liver, I will take things that help my liver. You know, I won't drink alcohol. I, you know, I'll do liver compresses. Yeah. Um, go on my crystal bed. <laughs> <laughs> Give myself acupuncture. Um, yeah. So they can't believe how long. So the last drug I was on, Taxol, I was on it for longer than anyone they ever knew. Um, by six months, they thought the longest I'd ever had anyone on it was a year. And I was on it for a year and a half. I think in the end, they didn't even need to take me off. it. I think they took me off it through disbelief yeah. and fear. Because yeah. they were, every time they were like, it's got to be going wrong soon because that was yeah, their yeah. belief. And the, way, the reason I did that is because I looked up, um, I understood what the drug did yeah. and I understood the negative effects in the body and I used natural therapies to offset the other stuff. So I would never use these therapies to replace the treatment, 
but I've used these therapists to help me remain on the treatment. And that is the key because they run out of treatments for you. Their belief is I will never clear this from my body. I'm not, I, mm. I'm respectful of their belief, but I'm not going to hold that in my DNA, if you like. Mm. I'm open to the possibility that anything's possible. What a powerful thing to say. Thanks. It's something yeah. that I should have written on my wall. I am possible. You know, nothing's no. impossible. So I am deeply respectful of their, you know, of where they're coming from. This is not her breast, no. it's not arrogance. I'm not, no. I, I am not arrogant about this condition. But I have deep respect for, for cancer and the people that have kept me alive in the NHS no. 100%. And look, like I think that it's really difficult and actually what you wrote so eloquently and perfectly in that post that you said about not being a warrior and not being described as, as, as fighting a battle was that nobody dies from cancer because they haven't put up enough of a fight or they didn't do exactly what you just did you know everyone that goes through that journey does it with every part of themselves nobody wants to die nobody wants to not be here and to not experience life to the fullest but I think that what you have taught is that level of curiosity and openness to the process and that's the possibility to to go through it with a positive experience is almost there I mean I don't, I don't mean it to be positive because it's obviously not no, but and, there can be playfulness and curiosity. You yeah. know, there's so much more expansion in that than there is yeah. in the fear. And I look at people in that that um, unit and they are full of fear. Yeah. And th there was a nurse that came in there the other day and she sort of gravitated towards me. She was a student nurse and she said to me, have you got cancer? And I said, yes, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and she... She said, oh, how much chemo have you had? I was like, oh, I don't know, 250 rounds of it or something? Loads. <laughs> like, and she said, I've never, ever seen anyone apparently as sick as your file says you are, look so well or radiate radiate life yeah. in the way that you radiate life. And that was a Western medic. So, yeah. you know, and look, I'm under no illusion. It can take you like that, uh. you know. I know yeah. that that's the case, but while yeah. I'm here and while I'm healthy, I just want to stay at that vibration. And I think yeah. staying at that vibration really helps. But also, like, and that this is what I'm fascinated by with you particularly, is that such um, synchronicity of brain and body, mm. that the mind and the power of the mind, that's only something that we're coming to learn now, mm. really in the last sort of 10 years, the power of the mind um, mm. to, to do both good and bad within the body. Oh, you know, um, so right. as we said earlier, the power of anxiety and stress and all that stuff to bring us down and to cause inflammation and stress and, and you know, all sorts of issues like we talked about in the fertility section, mm. but also flipping it on its head in the second part of the podcast to talk about the power of the mind to to be curious and inquisitive about the things that challenge us, to be able to look at it with a different a set of eyes and sort of see things in a way that might bring as you describe it the vibration up that you know there's something in that and I just really find it so powerful um to hear your experience of that yeah um, well you know, you know what we're you know we're only just we're babies in our understanding of the mind science is a baby you know it's it, it it's a toddler right 
um, or maybe slightly arrogant teenager. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, all of these other things, spirituality, it's like there's so much corruption and abuse in spirituality. There's so much manipulation. Some of the spirit, so-called spiritual coaches that charge £4,000 an hour to keep you addicted to them. It makes me vomit. I Like, I hate it. And, you know, I don't like the, I don't like the underlying message a part of wellness that we're broken and that we need fixing, that we constantly on this treadmill to, to imperfection. We have a lot of work as human beings to do, right? Hey. But you've got to have a willingness. And I think for me, willingness, curiosity, and a bloody good imagination <laughs> and sense of humor are vital ingredients to life, you know? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. vital and I really honestly I know we've been through really tough times and I'm pretty sure we've got tough times ahead of us but there is so much good coming out of now and yeah. I I know I'm the eternal optimist but I really do see that no I, I think that without this sounding like a therapy session I am someone who definitely gravitates towards that sort of need to compare and compare myself to other women and compare my life to other women. And I think actually, if we flip back into our fertility conversation, I think that's one of the things that stifles so many women in terms of pregnancy is that there's this constant timeline comparison. Oh, she's done it quickly. This, th this has happened slowly. This is too long. This is too short. This isn't right. You know, like this constant kind of um, discussion of comparison leaves yeah. you feeling constantly inadequate because someone will always be better than you and someone will always have more than you and because we are exposed to so much more than ever before through the medium of social media and more I believe that women in the majority never feel enough and never feel that they have it right and for that reason and actually again playing into that sort of victimhood status that you sort of said all of us, actually, no, I don't want to speak for everyone, so I'm going to speak for myself. I feel as though I'm never quite doing enough or I'm never quite enough because someone else is always doing more and has more. And when it comes to, therefore, looking at things like fertility, I already feel the pressure of, oh, well, she's had a baby and she's had a baby. And, oh, gosh, they're, they're falling pregnant really quickly. And, oh, what if that doesn't happen to me? And do you know what I mean? This kind yeah. of constant dialogue, it's tough. Listen, with all of those things, I don't believe in suppressing those emotions at all. Good. I believe in getting curious about the origins of them. So when did, I, when did I set up that belief that I need to be perfect? Where did that come from? And um, one of the processes that I do, because I trade with this guy called Gabor Mate, is I trace the feeling in the body. So when you, when you get that trigger, oh, she's had a baby, I really need to be having a baby. I would say, and where do you feel that in the body? You said, yeah. I feel it in my stomach. So I'd say, okay, just be with that feeling with your, in your stomach. Don't make it mean anything. Come out of your head. Just be with the feeling in the body because that's the opening. That's support the neural pathway connection. Yeah. Yeah. And this yeah. is where the neuroplasticity comes in. And some people find it really hard and some people are amazing at it. It's like yeah. incredible. And I sit and they'll just go back to a memory and it's always the right memory, however mad it feels. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember that I, when I was going through the process myself, I was like, I'm standing at boarding school. I'm standing by the side of my trunk. 
I feel really, really homesick and broken and whatever, you know? Man. And so you retrace the origins. And then what you do is you kind of, there's a process that you do about giving yourself compassion and really giving yourself what you needed and what that does. Because the mind, this is a neuroplasticity bit, mind does not know the difference between a thought and an experience. So if you change that memory and give yourself what you needed at that time, like I needed someone to hug me and say it's going to be okay, you know, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be okay and you're going to be all right, you know. Um, that that cha- that begins to change the neuro the the belief systems that we have, right? Yeah. And I promise you, it's a game changer yeah. because what happens in the fertility world is often all of these wo- old, old wounds get triggered. So you're standing in the fertility unit, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm afraid you've only got two eggs, and they're grade C." trigger i've never had a grade c in my life or oh that takes me back to when i just had grade c when i was trying to get yeah. into university and it ruined my life i had to go yeah. you know what i mean so the body holds all of this trauma yeah. and it is so often triggered by the by struggling to have a baby yeah. what advice do you have for women that are listening to this who have found themselves on a journey of trying to get pregnant and finding it challenging in terms of when to ask for advice, when to seek out professional help and how to cope with the emotional turmoil that it kind of brings up. I think the first thing is is to, to, to look for in your life what, what will create safety for you. Is your working environment, you know, causing it toxic? Is it, you know, making you unhappy? Are you staying there just to get the maternity? You know, look, look at all, and obviously we can't all change our life. We're not in a position. And I have so much empathy for this generation because you've got it all going on, on every level. I mean, how people have time to have sex, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it would have been a big fail from me. So I have immense empathy and there are no easy answers Alice that just mm. aren't you know mm. we are gonna have to make some big shifts as a society but we can all work on our inner safety every single one of us can work mm. on our inner safety work with people that make you feel safe that create safety don't work with an idiot who hasn't read your notes mm. and doesn't you know demand better you know, mm. demand more you know that they owe you reading your notes, you know. Yeah. That is a basic requirement. So if you feel unsafe, you either got to take the responsibilities. What is being triggered in me? Is this my stuff? Yeah. Or is it that this clinic is a piece of shit? <laughs> you know? And that could, that can be re- reflected in many spaces. It's not just in, in, a, in a clinical setting, you know, safety. Across, I felt unsafe in friendships. Yeah, I, I felt say unsafe that. in mm. family situations. There's been yeah. lots of things where I haven't felt safe and I've had to really work on yep. my own healing with that and also working to create a better boundary with those situations. A hundred percent. And there's a lot of help out there for stuff. Um, I'm, I'm really bad at plugging my stuff, but the cards are really good at helping with that stuff. Yeah. You know, creating boundaries. How do, Anger, you know, where, where where does this come from? You know, working yeah. with it through those emotional things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, not everyone can afford to come and see people like me. Not anyone, can, not everyone can change their outer 
situation, but we can all, all of us, work on our inner safety. Mm. That's going to look different for everyone else. If it means don't cutting people out of your life, I say sometimes you're in the delicatessen stage of life. There might not be much in it, but everything in it is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, my love, pain is not avoidable. It is unavoidable. We will all suffer pain. We will all mess up. We will all do bad things at some point. Yeah. And we will all have bad things done to us. That is a given. Yeah. Struggling is optional. And, th and this day and age, there is so much more help out there. Yeah. So if it's your mother that keeps triggering you, read a book on the mother wound. You know, yeah. heal that wound. It's an immense opportunity for healing. Again, yeah. I always have to say this, notwithstanding block tubes, sperm yeah. problem, yeah. <laughs> endometriosis. And in terms of that sort of stuff, do you advise someone going to see a medical professional early on? Like what's the kind of time frame in which you'd say, actually, do you know what? I think you should go and have a chat to a doctor just, just to make sure that, you know, everything's okay. Yeah, depends on age, um, depends on lots of things. Um, I think that sometimes you can meet a bit of a stony, you know, it can be a very difficult journey as well. So as much yeah. as I believe in science, sometimes the way that science is delivered isn't perfect. So yeah. you go to the doctor 10 times and tell them you've got painful periods and, you know, unexplained bleeding and they tell you to go away, sadly. And I think there's some terrible statistics about the amount of time it takes people to get diagnosed with endometriosis. And it's, yeah. it's horrific. And also, the, I read that word, but it is horrific. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it, it is a postcode lottery, as we know. But, you know, it, it's a bit of a funny one, fertility, if you look at it in the medical model. Because, first of all, there's this idea that because you're not sick, um, that you're not suffering. Well, nothing could be further than the truth. I see so much suffering in infertility, you know, yeah. because it's something we expect to be easy. And when it's not, it's deeply, deeply painful. Yeah. Um, and there's all the stuff we talked about with the comparisons and the no time and things yeah. like that. But find a really good team of people. And, you know, and if you're not happy with the advice that you're getting and you're able to switch, Go and see a different doctor within the same surgery. Sometimes yeah. you get a very different answer, you know. Mm. It can be helpful to talk to people, but only to a point because people want to tell you their experience and they're yeah. evangelical about their experience. Yeah. But I promise you, I've never had two people sit in front of me and give them the same advice. Never. No. Because everyone is entirely different. Connect with your partner. Yeah. You know, keep connecting with your partner. Yeah. And I think sometimes what happens, write this one down, yeah. we get very, very focused on the how we're going to have a baby and we lose sight of the why. And that might yeah. seem like, what are you talking about? Of course, I know why I want a baby, but I promise you that is true. Yeah. And we lose sight with the why because we're so stressed about the how. And so if you're finding that you're obsessing about the how you're going to have a baby, just spend a month. Just remembering why you want to have a baby with this person. What are you trying to create in the world? What do you love about this person? Is it their funny nose or is it a sense of humor? Yeah. You know, their knobbly knees. And say it to them. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to have a baby with you because I love the way you do that. And I hope that yeah. oh, I hope our child does that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you're such a kind, you know, do you want to see more kindness in the world? Like, because all of that stuff that will soothe your nervous system and that will take you out of the fight or flight 
Mm. which is a survival mode, which I promise you most people get to at some point in the fertility journey. And that tells you that you're not safe mm. and it isn't a good time to have a baby. And we want to get you in the feed or breed setting, which is the abundance. There's going to be enough food. There's going to be enough calories. It's going to be okay. You're not going to have to run away from a tiger. Dopamine, mm. dopamine. Your partner loves you. He's not going to piss off after a year. Yeah. He's not going to leave his pants on the floor. Yeah. Investment behavior. Brain flooded with dopamine, serotonin, all yeah. the things that make us feel good. Alice, this is science. This is not not science. This is science. This isn't bloody woo-woo. This is science. And we are beginning to find the science to back this up. Oh, my God, Emma, I could chat to you all evening. Oh, I hope it's been helpful to people. Oh, Emma, it has. And I just, I mean, we've really gone to lots of different places today and it might seem a little bit kind of like this because there's so much that you cover and there's so much that I get from you. I think I came to you with your fertility hat on and I think I stayed for the absolute enduring um, passion for what you do and love for everyone around you and willingness to help people that is in your veins you want yeah. to help people and I I see that in other people because I I feel I have that in myself I only want to help people and I think that it it's fulfilling and challenging in equal measures for sure but but it but it is definitely so rewarding um and look I think that many people will be listening who are going through difficult stuff who are um on their own journeys of trying to fall pregnant or maybe just going through their own journey of you know finding out what they want whether that is children or not because that's also a conversation to be yeah. had but but I think that um this conversation has been really enlightening and I feel like I've got so much from it and I feel like I and I hope that people will get a lot from it too. Um, yeah. So I'm so grateful for your time. Um, places that I want to direct people are, um, obviously your website has a lot on there in terms of what you do. Um, I would also direct people to your books. I know that Fertile, which I have in my bathroom, which I adore and I always get questions about it. Um, is your, hmm. Was that your first book? No, that was my last one. Your last one, sorry. Yeah, Baby wanna... Making Bible was my first one and right. I wrote that in 2010. I, but I still have, a, I, I still get letters about that book um, like nearly you... every day. Of course, <laughs> which is lovely. All of your books are amazing. Well, um, you know, it's hard because as soon as you write a book, it's kind of out of date. But, <laughs> but you know, it, there, are, there are truths within all of them. Absolutely. So look at your books, go to your website, the cards, are they on your website as well? Um, yes, I think they're on a separate, uh, they're called You Are the Medicine. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a few packets left and then I'm doing a reprint um, with an updated booklet which I'll send you because it's going to be so nice I'm editing it at the moment amazing um, but, but they've, they've been really lovely and there's also some there's lots of courses as well so I've got this program called 90 Days Fertile with a, which is a really inexpensive way to access me that's on my Emma Cannon website and that's 90 days where you get sent an email every day and it's everything from medical to get this medical mm. check mm. to you know so it's like having a big old consultation with me obviously it's not it's not bespoke yeah but some people choose to have a one-to-one -one with me after they've done it um it's really informative it's got meditations in it but it's also got medical stuff so if you really yeah. want the medical stuff it's there yeah. yeah 90 days fertile that's a really kind of good place to start 
stopped, even though I wasn't trying for children, obviously. I signed up to a 90 dose fertile and it was yeah. brilliant. So I would uh. definitely recommend that. Um, and then finally, the other thing I was going to say was, oh yes, your work with the IVF network, because I'm sure there'll be people listening who might be contemplating that route. The IVF network, I mentor them. So basically I choose the content and I choose the practitioners. Um, I'm a kind of quality controller, which I love because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very fussy. So the people that I might recommend if you came to a consultation with me is basically my address book. Mm. And, um, and, and they do, Charlotte Wilson, she her background is in uh, conferences and she's brilliant at putting together content and so it's really top quality it's like it's like IVF TV if you like Emma I'm gonna have to call it a day but I I adore you I adore you I adore you and I'm so grateful for your time and um, I really hope this conversation has been helpful and oh um, me too Alice thank you for having me on it's such an honor I can't wait to see you soon yeah you too <laughs> lots Bye, of everyone. love Emma thank you so much Bye, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week, so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.